Thank you, ladies. This morning, <clears throat> Lord, we uh, move to your word now in a very pointed way. We ask that you would speak to us by it, speak to us through it. And at the end of our encounter with your Lord, your word, Lord, we pray that you would find us to be people who are ready and responsive to your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do not know if you have ever been really kind of irretrievably, irrevocably lost. I can remember one time I was traveling on the way to a meeting in the city of Boston. Now, what you have to understand about Boston is there are no real plans for the streets there, except in one part of town. Mostly, the streets in Boston were old cow dirt paths that had been paved over over time. Nothing goes straight anywhere. There are no city blocks, per se. So if you miss your turn, you can't just go to the next block and turn around. No, in fact, most of the time you have to circumnavigate the globe in order to get back to where you were to try not to get lost again. This was back in the days before uh, widespread use of GPS devices to help people keep track of where they were. And I just think that I'm probably not the only person that's ever been lost and needed help to get to where I wanted to go. I want to encourage you this morning, watch this little clip. It's from the movie Apollo 13. It's Tom Hanks playing Jim Lovell, the astronaut, describing a moment when he was lost. You never know what's going to transpire to get you home. Of course, here in Kansas, the famous land of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, of course, the classic path home is the yellow brick road, right? Well, maybe this morning you've not been or are not geographically lost. Maybe you're relationally lost. Maybe you're vocationally lost. Or maybe at this time of year, most important, the most important of all, maybe you're feeling spiritually lost. So what is the genuine message of Christmas? Here it is. 
Since the time of Adam and Eve, we have been lost and in need of help to get home. Christmas is all about showing us the beginning to the way home, described for us this morning in a passage in the book of Isaiah. So if you have ever lost your way, if you're feeling like you're losing your way now, listen, Christmas is for you. Jesus comes at Christmas to show us the way home. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles, whatever way you happen to be accessing your Bibles this morning, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 35. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Again, on the website, if you're watching through the website, uh, you will see the Bible translation options off to the right of the picture. Isaiah, chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. We're going to bounce around a little bit in this passage, but we're going to kind of start at the end here, because this way here, this way home here, has a very specific name. In verses 8 through 10, the prophet Isaiah calls it the way of holiness. The way itself is holy. Because here it is, Jesus is the way, and he is the Holy One. And those he calls to himself who walk along with him on that way, in verse 8, those who walk in that way will themselves be holy. Now all of this, of course, requires the initiative of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, we know that left to ourselves, we're not going, we are not holy. Isaiah, when confronted with the vision and the presence of the Lord, he falls down on his face and he says, I am unclean. I'm not a big fan of snow, unless I'm on a snowboard on a mountain in Colorado. Otherwise, you can keep it. But... You know this picture, right? The fresh snow, it falls from the sky and it's all pure and, 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 and unspoiled and you look at it and when you see that fresh snow that's fallen from the sky, this is the picture of holiness. 
But the snow doesn't stay that way, does it? Nope. After a little while, the dirt particles and the leaves fall from the trees. The leaves that didn't get the message that they were already supposed to have fallen down before the snow came, those leaves fall down. They get all crumpled in the snow. And before long, it's all this crunchy little ugly little stuff that's making all this kind of dirt little things in the snow. That picture, that picture of the dirty snow, that's you and me, folks unclean. And the thing is, I don't know if you've ever tried this or not, but you can't really extract the dirt from the snow. In order for it to look pure again, you have to have another snowfall come down on top of it. So what we need is, in verse 9 of our passage this morning, what we need is, in verse 9, we need to be, you and I, we need to be redeemed, bought back. Verse 10, the word is ransomed. This initiation, this, uh, excuse me, this initiative of God comes to realization at Christmas. That's what we celebrate this time of year. The passage that Pastor Laura read for us from John chapter 14, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now I know that sometimes that verse hits our sensibility, but there it is. We live over on the west side of town on West Ridge Court, and um, every day that we come to this building, there's such a decision to make because there's so many ways to get here from West Ridge Court. I mean, seriously, I can come straight across 26th to Industrial down to 15th, or I can continue down Industrial to 12th Avenue, or I can continue down Industrial all the way down to 6th Avenue, which I wouldn't know why I would do that, but I can certainly do that. I can come back up up Merchant to 12th Avenue and then over here to park here. Or if I was really crazy, I could go down Industrial, get on Interstate 35, I could head north to go to Merchant Street, come down Merchant Street to 12th Avenue and come over to come up to the church. You get the point, right? There's multiple ways to get from my place to this place. But the Bible says really clearly there is only one way to holiness. And that way is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when we get a hold of that idea, then this passage unfolds for us a bunch of promises to those people who are on the way. Because you and I, at least I know I do, I encounter from time to time a little speed bump or two in my life. Speed bumps like circumstances. Speed bumps like health issues like being in the hospital for a week with pancreatitis. Let me just let you know right now, no fun whatsoever. Speed bump. Or finances sometimes, the things that slow us down. Or really, if you think about the, about the entirety of the year, 2020 has been this giant speed bump. Everything, it seems to me, everything has slowed down, been redirected, been stopped, been paused, speed bumps come our way. And so what Isaiah wants us to see in this passage, for those who are on the way with Jesus, is that circumstances will not ultimately triumph. Crystal clear in verses 1 and 2. And really, there's always some circumstance, right? And more often than we like to admit The circumstance is of our own making. 
I mentioned snowboarding a little while ago. I haven't been snowboarding in a while because my center of gravity had adjusted such that being on a snowboard was a little problematic. But I can remember one time, I was early in my snowboarding career. Well, maybe career is overstating it. Early in my snowboarding experience, I was on a, a lift chair to go to the top of the hill. We would often go to a place in Colorado called Ski Cooper. It's a little old mom and pop um, uh, resort kind of outside um, a little town in, uh, in Colorado. And I loved this place because it was, it was slower paced to kind of suit me. In fact, the chair was, chairlift was just a double chairlift. It took about 20 minutes to get from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. These days, you can go at about warp seven to get from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill. But nonetheless, there's a tricky thing on a ski lift. There's a moment where at the end of the ride, you have to make the decision at exactly the right moment to get off the ski lift. If you miss that moment, then the chairlift begins to continue to climb and go around to begin to make the, the, the turn to come back down the hill to go get the rest of the passengers. If you miss that moment, it can be problematic. And this one time, I missed my moment. Now, so here's what happened. I missed my moment, and I realized suddenly I'm not just even with the ground anymore, where I could easily slide off on my snowboard. Now, now I'm two or three feet above the ground. I still have to get off the chair, and I have to do it in a way that doesn't A, kill me, kill somebody next to me, or B, doesn't look stupid. So I slid off, fell down flat on my face. I achieved my first two objectives. I did not kill myself or kill anybody else near me. The looking stupid part, not so well done. Now this wouldn't have been too bad, except of course the entire posse of people with whom I had been traveling on this particular ski trip were on chairs behind me. So they all got to see my very spectacular face plant in the snow. They were all very polite. They got off their chairs, skirted around me, didn't laugh at me in that moment although I'm pretty sure I saw the shrugging shoulders that come when people are trying to constrain the laughter as they ski and snowboard away from me. Right? There's always some circumstance. And oftentimes the circumstance is of our own doing. But Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, you will have trouble. Pandemic, anyone? But the way of holiness about which Isaiah speaks in our passage this morning reminds us that our circumstances are not final. In this passage, the circumstance of the parched desert gives way to this picture of abundant, lush life. Because Jesus doesn't stop there in John chapter 16 when he says, in this world you will have trouble. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that's why Isaiah goes on in this passage to say that in verses 5 and 6 that healing takes place in the passage. Look at this picture. It's really a preview of everything that Jesus did when he was strolling around the, uh, the ancient world. The, the, this passage is full of physical healings, uh, healings of physical afflictions. Uh, the, the blind, the physically blind are healed. The spiritually blind are healed. 
A while back, our nation passed the Americans with Disabilities Act, which mandated that public facilities accommodate those with difficulties. You can see some evidence of that building, of this, of that around this building here, the ramps that we have outside several doors and whatnot. Not all of our handicaps are obvious, but regardless, hear this. Heaven will never have to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. There is no D, disability, in heaven. There are no handicapped ramps. There are no hearing raids. There are no glasses. There are no crutches. There are no wheelchairs. None of the marks of physical limitation, none of the marks of emotional or mental limitation, none of those things are there because healing, the Bible tells us, takes place for those who are on the way. I can remember the very first funeral I did, funeral service I did for a, uh, a man in our church in Colorado. <clears throat> His name was Don. Don was a super, super guy. One of the sweetest people I've ever met. Meet. A lover of Jesus like, like, like no tomorrow. But towards the end of his life, Don was suffering from breathing limitations, and so he had to forever tote around one of those oxygen tank things. Don hated that thing. He loved that he could breathe because of it, but he hated having to tote it everywhere. And mostly he hated having to tote it everywhere because it was a reminder to him that he was now limited in ways that he had not been limited before. And I can remember at the memorial service, the funeral service that we had for him, person after person after person getting up and saying, thank God that Don does not have to tote that oxygen tank around in heaven because it's done, because he's been healed, because he was on the way. Isaiah says in verse 9 that none of those things that can harm us, represented here in this passage by lions and ferocious beasts, are permitted there on the way. Permitted there on the way. But there is an important note about timing in this passage. The timing of this positioning ourselves on the way, the timing of the, the way leading ultimately to our permanent residency with God, the timing is his, the timing is God's time. Because the people to whom Isaiah prophesied, they had yet to experience some pretty spectacular stressors. Taken into captivity, losing their physical lives. The timing is God's timing. Now, over the last week, Pastor Laura decided that I would wear this amazingly complicated shirt this Sunday morning to church. It was a patterned thing like I have never seen patterns in my life. Frankly, I would have been embarrassed to put it on, but she insisted, mind you, she insisted that I wear this particular shirt. So I went to try the shirt on and praise God from whom all blessings flow, the shirt was too small. So I had to gleefully, but reluctantly on her part, return this shirt. So I packaged it all up with the Amazon return label, prepaid postage, blah, blah, blah. And I had read, I thought I had read, that the post office was open on Saturday afternoon during the holidays. And so I got it all packaged up, walked into the post office, and it wasn't open on the holidays. The post office was not operating according to my schedule. 
I had to operate according to the post office schedule. God does not operate on my schedule. I have to operate and acquiesce and embrace his schedule. God sets the timing for the transformation of our circumstances, but the timing is his that underscores the promise that he will do it. So, given the understanding of God's call to us to walk the way of holiness, what do people look like who are traveling that way? What are are the characteristics of people that are walking the way of holiness? The first one in verses 3 and 4 here is that they're people of encouragement. A man named Reverend Chalfont tells of a couple who were celebrating their golden anniversary. The husband was asked what the secret was to his successful marriage. The old gentleman answered with a story. His wife, he said, Sarah, was the only girl he had ever dated. He had grown up in an orphanage and worked hard for everything he had. He never had time to date until Sarah swept him off his feet. Before he knew it, she had managed to get him to ask her to marry him. After they had said their vows on their wedding day, Sarah's father took the new groom aside. Always a potentially problematic moment. Sarah's father took the new groom aside and handed him a small gift. He said, within this gift is all you really need to know to have a happy marriage. The nervous young man fumbled with the paper and ribbon until he got the package open. And with, with the box, within the box lay a large gold watch. And with great care, he picked it up. But looking closely at the watch, he saw etched across the face of the watch a prudent reminder he would see every day and every time he checked the time. Words that, if heeded, would lead indeed to that successful marriage. The words were, say something nice to Sarah. People who are on the way are called to be people who can do much more beyond saying nice or being nice. We have a message, folks. We have the Christmas Christmas message. God is in the business of drawing us to himself and taking care of things. So not only do we have the capacity to speak well and speak nicely, but we have the capacity to live lives that are characterized by gladness and joy. Listen, 2020, joy, not so much. You look up the words, uh, the number, uh, the year 2020 in the dictionary, and you're not going to see a big picture of people jumping up and down and going, yip, 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 yippee, 2020, yay. No, not so much. But here's the thing about the Christian life. The Christian life is supposed to be characterized by joy independent of circumstances. Happiness, it's all a function of circumstance. Joy, it's a function of realization of the person and work of Jesus Christ and his willingness to call us to himself along the way. So, what do we do about that? How do we kind of figure that out? I think we have to do a couple of things. Captured in one word, that one word is downsizing. The first aspect of downsizing is I think we have to downsize our pride a little bit and admit that we are sinners in the need of Christ's work to call us home. Admit that we can't do it by ourselves. Admit that if we don't embrace Jesus, who is the way and the truth in life, we are just as lost as I was trying to navigate the city's streets of Boston, Massachusetts. 
In verse 8, Isaiah says, people who do not embrace the way, he calls them fools. He's not describing ignorant buffoons, because in the Bible, that's not what fools mean. In the Bible, the word fools describes people who can see the truth, who can know the truth, but will not embrace the truth. Psalm 107, verse 7, fools are called rebellious people. So we have to downsize our pride. Admit that we need Jesus. And then we have to downsize our schedules. And we have to admit that we often give God the leftovers in our lives. Verse 8, walking in that way describes a totality of life. A way of giving ourselves over completely to God. That does not mean that we're sitting 24-7 somewhere in a dark corner praying. No, God invests in our life and as we invest in his life and we are investing in the lives of other people. It's not this passive sit-in-the-corner existence. It's movement. It's movement. So, I don't know if you've ever lost track of one of your children was in the London Zoo one time, which is a pretty nice place. My son Paul was four, and uh, he got lost, just wandered away. You know how kids do that, they just wander away sometimes. And I never knew how many blonde-haired kids in a red shirt and blue shorts there were until I was looking for one specific blonde-haired kid in a red shirt and shorts. Scoured the place, finally found him, Scolded him a little bit, but was so grateful to have him back that we had kind of forgiven the whole, hey, you made us go crazy for 20 minutes. That's what God has done. That's what Christmas is all about. God comes in the person of Jesus to track us down and show us the way home, this way of holiness. And it's not a trail of green algae like Jim Lovell experienced in his aircraft. It's not a yellow brick road. Sorry, Dorothy. The way home is a person, the person of Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Advent, great time to find our way home. Pray with me.